Welcome to the Coast Talk Talk podcast. I'm your host, Nick Swinmurn, otherwise known as Coast Talk. I've been a lifelong entrepreneur. Whether it's sports, tech, food, fitness, I've got a bunch of passions. I've also been fortunate enough to invest in some of my favorite sports teams. Along the way, I've met a bunch of great people, whether athletes, entrepreneurs, executives, and we hope to dive into their stories on our show. You'll hear backstories, successes, and failures throughout our discussions. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy listening to the show. This is Coast Talk Talk. Welcome to Coast Talk Talk. Today, we're joined by Dave Broom, co-founder and CEO of Orange Comet and CEO of 25-7 Productions. Dave, welcome to the show. Excited, uh, excited for our chat. Me too, Nick. It's a pleasure being with you. Awesome. Thanks. So uh, I guess to start, we like to go as far back as we can. If you want to give a quick... Oh, quick shit. All the way to the Bronx? Yep. All the way to the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, if you want to give a quick intro, kind of, you know, where you're from, how you got started, it can be as detailed or as general as, as you'd like. I'll, tr- I'll try to keep it flowing and, 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 uh, and not bore the listeners and try to keep it some interesting. I am a New Yorker, <laughs> but uh, in a hardcore New Yorker, but I had a passion for getting out to California. Uh, when I was about 13, I went out to Los Angeles on a family vacation, told my mom and dad, this is where I'm moving for the rest of my life. And I don't know what, if it was the, if it was the good looking girls back then or the, uh, or just the vibe. Um, but I knew I wanted to get into entertainment even at a young age. So, um, I grew up in New Jersey. I went to Hofstra university on long Island, studied marketing, got a BBA. I was a horrible student in high school. I really had you know, I tell my mom and dad all the time. I'm like, I know I had ADD and, but, but I was never diagnosed with it really. I mean, I just, I couldn't read a book or read anything and, and find myself remembering what I just read on that page. Um, and maybe it's a good thing because I would have been medicated back then. And maybe, you know, I wouldn't have been who I am today on it, but I got out of college and I, you know, I actually just, I'll give you, this was a, funny, quick little story about my personality, how psychotic I am. When I was uh, 17, just before I started Hofstra, I came out to uh, LA on a trip in that summer with my best friend, who's still my best friend of uh, since we were 12. Um, and we talk every day. He's, he's in New Jersey still. But we came out and I bought a map of, uh, of Westwood um, in that surrounding area by UCLA. And I drove that area and I, I circled on this map in rating exactly where I wanted to live. And I hung that map up on my dorm for four years. And everybody would come in and say, what's that? I mean, that's exactly where I'm moving the day after I get out of school. And I packed up my car. I had no job, no money. I tried, I had an internship at MTV. I thought I might be able to get something in Los Angeles, but I moved exactly where I said in that circle within that five mile radius. Um, the day I landed into um, California, 1986. Wow. And um, so I'm a hyper-focused, driven, uh, you know, individual. And um, I struggled, um, you know, when I got to L.A., um, I, you know, like I was 21 years old. I knew nobody. I left. I had a girlfriend back in, in New Jersey. I had my friends, my family. And I just could not break into entertainment. But I... Um, so I started as a manager in El Torito and peeling avocados and learning every single aspect 
<laughs> and uh, and you know, I I caught some lucky breaks, and I can I'll, I'll toss it back to you because I, I want to allow you to, to ask some questions. But that was no. my background, um, and I eventually made my way into entertainment, of course. But uh, let's not take the leap there yet. Yeah. Now, El Torito, I, I had a friend who's who had his fake ID cut into like twenty pieces at the table at El Torito. That's what the first thing that pops into my mind when I, I when it. I hear that name. Yeah. <laughs> Probably because he ordered like a banana margarita and they're like, you're not 21. We're going to cut oh, this thing up. Man, but I'll tell you that, that taught me so much at a young age. I didn't even, I always look back on some of those days, you know, you, you probably do the same in your, your early days of stuff. And I tell my daughters, you, you, you gleam stuff from your experiences that you don't even realize at that time. Yeah. But, you know, I, I looked at so many people around me, hard workers a lot of immigrants, by the way. Um, and, you know, and I had just an appreciation that the restaurant industry is obviously a tough industry. Um, I knew it wasn't anything I want to do. I just needed to pay the bills. Yeah. But, but you learn something from everything. And if you could take something away from every experience you have, you, you don't maybe realize it at the time, but boy, does it really affect you in later in life. No, it's crazy. I was actually talking to my dad the other day because, you know, he finds it amusing when when you, when I talk about the things that I remember from being young, right. And he's like, Oh, that you remember that? Like, I don't even remember that. Right. And so then I look at my own son and I think, Oh man, this is weird pressure every day. Cause I don't know what he's going to remember. And then you start thinking about yourself and you think, how could I, you know, is it possible in real time to be noticing the things that are going to stick with me? Or do I just have to let the process you that's know, a cool, grow? That's a cool thought. That is a very cool moment to think like that. Yeah. Um, what did you determine? I determined that all you could really do, I mean, all I could really do, I'm a little bit like, uh, oh, look at that shiny thing, look at that shiny thing, look at that shiny thing, right? And so I figured all I can do is be aware and curious as as many things as possible and just assume that the right things will resonate later. Yeah. And, you know, and I guess you also you know, realize there's a reason specific to each person why they remember each thing. And so all I could try to be is a little more, you know, try to accumulate more things that I'm noticing. Yeah. So in theory, that might increase the the useful ones that I'll, they'll be able to fall back on later as opposed yeah. to, um, you know, I, was, I remember listening to a podcast once about being super in the moment. Right. And it was talking about driving and like, you know, driving is a great example. Are you spaced out? You're aware of what's going on ahead of you, but like, can you, you know, there's little drills. Like, can you, you know, think of, see one thing that you'll remember about each car around you and can you uh, find you know, one little thing. And it's, it's actually interesting when you start driving like that, you're aware of like, wow, there's so much going on, but I don't actually know if it makes you a better driver or if it's better just to space out on some point, yeah. you know, far I'm, in the future. I'm definitely guilty, you know, enjoying or being in the moment is, I, I find challenging at times. I, I love it. Like what you and I are doing right now, I'm in the moment with you. I love it. Yeah. Um, but I'm also, as soon as I, I quickly can get out of it and think about, what's next or what I have to do next or where my head's at on something else. And I don't know if that's just because I'm driven or because I've got ADD or because, um, you know, I'm just passionate about so many different things. It's a challenging part. You know, it's an interesting thing as an entrepreneur and as a business person to sit there and think about, can you just be so hyper-focused on one thing at that moment and then, you know, move on to something else or are you better as a multitasker? And yeah. it's a good debate. I go back and forth. I think I just have revisionist history for each one, but I'm always like, you know, would it be better if I was focused on a certain thing or is what I'm focused on 
the right thing. You know, like it's kind of yeah. like, where do you, do you guide your brain somewhere or does, or is the fact that you, or will your brain take you where you should be going? So that's, uh, that's tricky. So what was it about that Westwood area that, you know, I think it said five mile radius where you're like, this is where I'm going to be. What was, well, I, it's a good, it's a good question. I felt like because Westwood is the home to UCLA and, and I felt like, okay, this would be a good transition for me. I'll be coming out to California at 22 years of age. Won't know anyone, um, won't have the job, but maybe I can at least be surrounded by people who are either in school or graduate school. And, you know, so I, 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 I like that. And back then in the mid eighties, if anyone listening is from, you know, Los Angeles has been to Westwood, California back then, it was insanity. The, the, the town was just alive. It looked like Fort Lauderdale every day, you know, during spring break. Um, and it's an interesting thing. Talk about a, a business mistake. I mean, th- people would just, the streets were jammed. You couldn't drive your car. People are honking their horns and partying in the streets. And the local businesses got very upset by it. And they basically um, ended up shutting it down. And years later, just Westwood became a completely different town. Like the business, the businesses that were there never could survive, but the action drew me to that, to that area. And I thought that, um, it would just be a a good transition. I didn't know where else to to go as a young man. Um, and so, and it worked out well for me, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I, I rented a one bedroom apartment and got a roommate. We shared a bedroom um, believe it or not, and we both struggling. And uh, if I fast forward, that was in 1986. If I fast forward into the 2015, I ended up living in the Brentwood Hills uh, above Sunset in a multi, 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 multi million dollar home up there, just oh. just a mile and a half away from where I couldn't even rub two nickels together. <laughs> and I it hit it hits me a lot, you know, and feel so blessed and thankful for what I've been able to accomplish, I kind of almost never left my roots in a a way. It's a interesting thing. And I tell my daughters this all the time again, you know, you have these defining moments in your life. Um, And and, and when I bought that house up in in the hills in Brentwood overlooking, you know, I had a view from Malibu down to downtown Los Angeles and, and just a, just a stone's throw away from where I could, where I just all started for me. Um, It was just an interesting, you know, journey. Yeah. And when you were making that decision to move, I mean, obviously you decided, I think you said at 13 and yeah, and you, you get out there. What, what was your, what was your family's reaction? You know, were they encouraging? Were they like, what are you going to do out, out there? It's a great question. You know, I, I talked to my mom and dad about this all the time. I, my mom is your stereotypical, like overprotective Jewish mom. I mean, I, when I look at baby pictures of me, it's in the middle of the summer and I'm dressed like I can be in Alaska because <laughs> my mom didn't want me to catch cold. Um, but the funny thing is that I turned to him and said, look, I'm gone. I'm, I'm moving here. And my dad was a very conservative. He was a lawyer working at a bank um, as a vice president for 30 years in the same job. Conservatives can be. My mom was a, had a master's degree in special education. She was a school teacher. And they never once tried to talk me out of it. They never once said, that's crazy. That's insane. Your roots are here. You grew up here. Um, your friends are here. You know, your family's here. 
They were just super, super supportive. And boy, I, and I've, I've thought about that often. And, you know, when I, when I, I drove across country by myself, and this is well before the days of cell phones. So I'm not even sure what was going through my mom's mind in between the miles that she was, that I was able to get to a payphone to call her. But, um, but you know, they just let me do my thing. And I think that that was, that meant a lot to me. I've never, you know, forgotten that. So um, I think you need family support. Look, you could go one of two ways. You, need, you can either defy your family, right, as a person and you say, look, it, screw it. I'm going to do what the fuck I want to do. And there's something to be said about that. Or the better version of that is, I think, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I've got all the support behind me in the world. Yeah. So when you got out there and you're, you're, you're able to do what you want to do, what, what was it that you wanted to do? When, once you got there and you said, OK, I'm here. I've been, I've been waiting for this for a long time. Yeah. What did you want to do? And how did you go about getting your start? In, you know, I, I have an interesting blend in my personality. I think much like you, uh, I'm a very creative person. It, uh, well, at around eight years old, nine years old, I sat down and I took drum lessons and started playing the drums. And around 13, my mom and dad rented a piano for my brother. And I sat down and just my fingers fell on the keys and I was able to start playing. Um, I, I had this all by year and I had all this creativity in me. Um, and was writing and was recording music growing up and was actually writing scripts growing up. So I had all this creativity, but I also have it in a business driven mind as well. You know, sometimes you either find someone who's either very business or very creative. And I was fortunate, I think, because I had the blend of both. So I knew I wanted to get into entertainment. Um, you know, what the, uh, when I landed in, um, in Los Angeles, um, What was that? What did that really mean? I thought I wanted to write, produce. I didn't, wasn't really thinking, do I want to do this in film? Do I want to do this in television? I just knew I wanted to be in the creative space. I started writing some scripts. Um, I wrote a Family Ties episode and a Friends episode and a Frasier episode back then. And I got noticed and I got actually, um, you know, I was able to get it into the right hands and I People were seeing what I was doing. So I knew that that's what I want to do. But it was, it took me years to get there. And I actually diverted. I, I, I couldn't, you know, I went from El Torito into a sales job. I sold door-to-door telephone systems in downtown Los Angeles for a company called Harris Lanier. And again, like, you know, str- just trying to make money. I hated it, but I was like the 54th ranked salesperson out of thousands of people around the country because my mindset is if I'm going to, I'm either an all in or all out kind of person. So there were five or six steps it took for me to finally get into radio, which then took me from radio into television and into film and into documentaries. And of course, now where I am as a CEO in the Web3 space. Um, But man, I wouldn't change a thing. But so I, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I just couldn't pinpoint Nick saying, Man, I want to be the guy like I, Steven Spielberg knew he wanted to make movies um, and was directing, you know, home f- uh, movies from since he was a kid. Um, I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I just knew that I had this creative desire and I needed to break into Hollywood. Yeah. And then you've obviously, you know, created and produced some some huge shows. How did, um, you know, well, how long did that process take from from breaking in? And then and then how did you eventually find your. Yeah. Find your lane. My, 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 my first biggest hit was The Biggest Loser, which was the weight loss series that was on NBC and around the world. But it was a journey to get there. 
I started working for a company that was first called Clear Channel that now is known as iHeart. And they're the largest radio broadcaster in the world. And I, a uh, Clear Channel had an interesting thing back um, in the late 90s, early 2000s. They had a television division, but um, that television division was very disconnected from the radio side. It was almost like you had all these radio stations that amassed this global or a nationwide audience um, back then. And yet the television team wasn't using it to, 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 to its benefit. You could push a show out to a network. Imagine selling something to NBC and then using the power of 5,000 radio stations to drive a tune-in message to come back to it. And I saw that as an interesting opportunity. And so even though I was doing a sports talk show on the air and I actually started in, in marketing on, uh, at Clear Channel, I went to them and I said, hey, I, I, I've been wanting to produce for so long and I think I could bring this, um, the two worlds together. And I was very fortunate um, that I had a boss his name was Roy Lachlan, and he was running the Los Angeles division of radio stations. And he allowed me and gave me the opportunity to do it. And what I started to do was I took properties around what Clear Channel had. They had concerts and radio shows that were, you know, performing at something called Wango Tango. Kiss FM had a Wango Tango, big, massive concert at Dodger Stadium. And I started thinking, well, we should be taking that, putting it on television. And then using the power of the radio stations to drive that tune in. So that's where I started. I started in live television, producing live, no net, nothing underneath me. Um, and when, if you can make live television, I think you can make anything. And, um, and I started to develop relationships at the networks. And I started to make Clear Channel a whole bunch of money. And then in the early 2000s, I said, okay, I'm, I'm done. Uh, late 90s, really. And I said, I can, I could do this on my own. And I started my own production company and I started to produce unscripted television. Reality television was taking off. And what I saw back then was a lot of trash on television in the reality space, a lot of like nasty shows and the stuff wasn't feel good at all. Um, it was loud, but I, as a storyteller, as a guy who was writing scripts, I thought, you know, what if I could bring story components into the world of reality the way I wanted to do it. And that's how I started to, to get in. And I was able to start to sell some cable shows here and there. And then um, I knew I wanted to do something in the physical fitness space. I just couldn't, I didn't know what it was, but I knew that I can find a transformative show. And I was working on in, in a 24-hour fitness one day. Saw a, almost like a help wanted or help needed sign on a, on, a, on a board outside of the men's locker room. And this person said, I'm uh, obese and I can't find a trainer to help me. And I feel like I'm going to die if I can't get someone. And I, it stopped me in my tracks. And I just knew that was it. I'm going to take obese and morbidly obese people. I'm going to get the best trainers in the world, and I'm going to build a format around that. And so I went home that night. I, I, I wrote down the format. I called my agent up uh, and at William Morris at the time, and he said to me, no, no, you, you're not going to be able to sell this show, Dave. People, uh, people have tried to do things in the weight loss space before and uh, give up on it, move on to something else. Huh. And 
And I said, no, no, man, I'm telling you, I don't care what people have done before. This is it. I got the fucking show. This is it. He goes, no, no, I mean, it's a daytime subject. Oprah does it. And people, I'm like, no, I, I'm telling you, I'm going to turn this into a rock concert. Big lights, massive scale, tons of drama, huge production. And he didn't want uh, to even set up any of the meetings. And I said, listen, if you don't set the meetings up with the networks, I'm going to make the calls myself and I'm going to leave the agency. And I was able to get him to do it. Every single network, every network passed on that show. Nobody wanted it. There was an executive at one of the major, major networks who at the time when I got done pitching said to me, Dave, nobody wants to see a bunch of fat people sweat on national television. Literally, that was a line. So luckily, I was able to get it to NBC. And I can tell you the story on how that happened, but I don't want to get long winded. But it took me from the time I was 22. And I'm telling you, it took me over 12 years to get into the position of where I was starting to have the respect to make network television shows. And it was a grind, man. It was a fucking grind. Is there, there's two things I've always been curious how they work. One, it seems to be the, the, the end goal for, for people is they want their own production company, but how do you, how do you fund your own production company when you're just getting started? Is it something where you, the production company is really generating ideas and then you pitch them and then a successful pitch leads to the funding for the show? Or do you? It's a good question. I would talk some, I would talk most people out of trying to run a production company. There, there are several different ways of doing it and things have changed over the years. Um, when I started my production company, I wanted a real production company. There are a lot of producers who have a production company, but they don't really have a physical production company, meaning they don't have a space with editors and edit bays and production stuff comes in there. Um, They've got a banner. And and so they get up, they they get a, a credit as a producer and someone else is doing the physical work. I never wanted to do that. I wanted to be the guy to come up with the idea, to sell the idea, and to literally make the idea in the field, and then edit it. Because all of this comes together in the story component, in the post part of this, in the edit. So the interesting challenge is I started out small. I got a cable, you know, a small little cable show here, another one there, another one here. By the time I started to make network television, um, I started to develop a, a bit of a reputation. And, and that is what's needed because the, the key about a production company, Nick, is that a network is looking at you or today a streamer and saying, am I going to trust him, her, and their company with a million dollars an episode, two million dollars an episode, over eight, you're talking about 16, 24, 30, 40 million dollars to deliver that product at the end of the day. And so um, you, you, th- th- you have to gain their trust and you have to be willing, by the way, to take on the fiscal risk because if you're, if they trust you to make an episode in a million dollars an episode, and that comes in at $1.2 million an episode, and you have not gotten the approval for that extra $200,000 because you're over, guess what? It's on you. So the one way of getting going is to, to really start out small and gaining trust within the networks to show that you can actually be responsible for this and deliver the product at the end of the day. Another way of going for everyone listening is 
They can try to get an overall deal. They can try to go to one of the bigger production companies or studios or even networks and say, look, here's who I am. Here's the work I do. Here's my creative portfolio. Fund me. Give me three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year. If you're a million, if you can, if you can command that, and let me, and I'll, you know, you'll you'll basically keep the lights on for me, and you'll get the first look of every project that I bring, or you'll get all the projects I bring. That's another way. But somebody just walking off the street with no experience in making television or film and opening up a production company is going to have to have some kind of financial backing. And more importantly, is going to have to deliver some kind of a product to show that they're capable of doing this, both from a creative and a fiscal responsibility. Now, that's super interesting. I watched, um, was it called The Offer? It was the one about, it was a show about making, yes. um, making yeah. The Godfather. And you, yeah. you watch the producer role and you're like, well, this, this seems, uh, seems a little crazy, but it's, I've always, you know, it always it feels it feels the same as a startup in that you come up with an idea, then you go raise money to fund it. And I just was never sure. I didn't even know about that process. I wasn't sure if you sold a show and then the network takes it from there and they've got all the editors and, and the no. you know, they budget it's, and everything. You know what's interesting is I had so many colleagues and friends over the years who couldn't get they had good ideas, but they didn't have the trust or or the reputation or the established um, you know, reputation to run the production themselves. So they would come to me or someone like me, an established producer who had a company, and and we would walk in the project together and I would, you know, put my spin on it. So we would bring it to the network together. And now the produce and then the network goes, great, okay. We see that some, you know, Dave Broom is going to run this or someone like Dave. A lot yeah. of times these, you know, people will go pitch a show to a network or a streamer. You can go walk into Netflix if you have the opportunity to go into a Netflix, let's say, pitch your idea out. Of course, they're not just going to take any, you know, anyone off the street for, for legal reasons too. But let's just say you were able to go in. An, a streamer or a network might say, hey, this is great. Let's put you with a producer that we've worked with in the past that we trust and you guys can be aligned and you can work together. And that ha- that's another way of going about it. Yeah. And then, so that's, that's a little bit like, um, yeah, getting started and being introduced to almost like your co-founder in a startup. How's the agent, like the agent relationship Always seems interesting to me because when you're when you're starting out, you're I'm guessing you're not going to command the the best agent or the one with the right. most connections. So you got to try to find or maybe any agent or any agent. Yeah, so I feel like it's it's a little bit similar to finding a being a non technical you know founder trying to find your technical co founder. So you you're looking out and you're thinking my best case scenario is finding someone just getting started who's going to be a rock star agent, right? Yeah. And my other option is going to be a lot of agents that are just taking on anything because they haven't, you know, different variety of reasons why they haven't been able to progress themselves. Like, how do yep. you know, you know, it seems like a necessary, uh, let's just say necessary evil. It seems like a necessary thing, right. To, right. to get in the door, but it's always that frustrating part of like, wait a minute, I need someone who's having a hard time getting in the door themselves to help me get in the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I have a lot, some of my close friends are, are agents, but I'll, but I'll tell you something. Agents, I've always said agents are um, great at chasing heat, but you've got to find the rare ones who know how to strike a match and um, and start that fire themselves. And that is the challenging part for everyone. Once you're on a radar, oh, boy, you're going to get you're going to get agents coming at you left and right. But there's the catch 22. It's like, well, how the fuck do I get on a radar if I don't have an agent? (laughs) So, it's you know, it's chicken egg kind of thing in a way. But 
but but here's what I would say. You don't have to, in today, today, and by the way, you know, in especially in Web three, where in the world that I've you know transitioned into, yeah. um, in in NFTs and in in in, uh, in Web three technology and blockchain, you don't need an agent. Put Web three aside. We've got something called the internet with YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and all this shit. Today, more than ever, you can make a name for yourself. You can create content for yourself that can get the attention of anyone. You don't need someone at some, you know, four wall establishment, whether it's UTA or CAA or W, any of the, the, the you know, the, the, the letters of the agencies. You don't need to start that way anymore. When I yeah. was coming up, you did. You needed to get, you needed those people to help walk you in the door into a network because no network executive is going to just take a pit, uh, an unsolicited pitch because they, they could be sued. You know, they could feel like, you know, you, they, they don't know you. And if there's a similar idea that they go ahead and had in development, they'll, you'll claim that it's you, they stole your idea. So they never want to take that. They, they, they've always wanted to have stuff coming through an agency. But now in 2022, fuck the agency. Any listener out there right now that wants to break into you know, entertainment, Hollywood, music, man, you've got the power. You can do this on your own and, and then decide if you want and need an agent. Do you know that there are, I've talked to so many musicians today, I mean, superstars who don't, they don't want a record label. You know, in, they don't feel like need a record label. Now, there's still a lot of value that record labels bring. Don't don't, don't get me wrong. And I'm, I'm, I work with all of them. But but if you want to create and if you want to do and if you want to make it, you can do it right now in the world we're living in and 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 make your own heat and let everybody chase you. And and that is truly the power of where we are with the technology today, where rather than where we were 20, 25 years ago. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, super interesting and super exciting. I mean, I'm it's uh, anyone listening, I'm sure is you know dropping what they're doing right now and thinking because a lot of us, a lot of everyone, right? You, you spend time looking for the shortcut or the fast track or trying to defer the ultimate responsibility to like, well, I can't do it on my own. I need I need this approval, and so it's exciting, but it's also daunting for a lot of people to realize it's on you. Like I always tell myself, like it, really everything comes down to how bad do you want it. And it's okay sometimes to be like, you know what? I guess I just didn't want it. I don't want it that bad. That's fine. You know, you just can't be in the middle. I, I can't, I cannot agree with you more. I, I will tell you, passion to me is everything. If you are passionate about something, then you should be all in and go for it. If that's what you want, you can't dip your toe in. You can't hang into it halfway. You don't, it shouldn't be on medium. It, this is me. This is my perspective. Because yeah. I, I think if you believe in it and you want it, and these are, you know, bullshit. I don't want to talk in cliches, but I truly believe that passion will push the energy and inertia you need to move towards your goal. And if you're not and you don't believe that and you're not so like, fuck this, man, I'm going for this, then maybe you're going to get there. But I think you're going to need some lucky breaks. And the question then is, do you really want it, to your point, if yeah. you're not that passionate about it? Because I I know, look, there's no doubt. I mean, some people are just coming from 
disadvantages. You know, they, they, they don't have the right, they didn't come from the right upbringing. They didn't, they have so many hurdles and obstacles that other people don't have. And we hear these unbelievable inspirational stories about somebody just achieving success, but drive and passion is the key to anything, in, in, in my opinion. And especially, you know, in the world of entertainment where everybody is a, is a naysayer. You know, everybody, for some reason, I don't know if it's ego or, you know, the money or, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I've never really figured out why it's an industry that just wants to slap people down. I've never been in something where I see people not like rooting to see people succeed. Um, I, it's just it's just interesting. But I'm telling you, if you want to do it, you can defy it. And and today, more than ever, the opportunity is there. It is so there. Yeah. Now, before I uh, definitely want to get into. um into Orange Comet, but one last question because it's just, you know, so many questions which you have incredible answers for. So you look at, um, if you take that, you know, do it on your own model and you look at some of these, you know, the most successful NFT projects, like you look at the Bored Apes or Doodles or whatever, Moombers, et cetera. And there's still this, obviously there's a lot of confusion among holders of exactly, you know, where they sit and who they are. But a lot of it's like, oh, one day they're going to get a Netflix deal or, oh, this project can get this. Why would the amount of money they've raised, why aren't they just saying, hey, this is my IP, I'll go, I'll go do this? Or why aren't more people doing that and saying, like, we've already, you've gotten about as high as you can get. You've generated about as much money as you can get within this, within this space. You're the leader. Go show us that model for creating your own IP, producing your own IP. Why do you need, you know, why, why are we starting in this, like, you know, decentralized world. And then the first step is like, okay, cool. Now, can I go to one of these three companies and get, get a streaming deal? This is such a great question. Why, why are we abandoning, you know, the, the, the traditional media to go to, you know, web three only to go back to, you know, yeah. web two. Uh, it's a brilliant question. It really is. It's a great observation. Um, because um, look at the end of the day, the Netflixes of the world or the Amazons of the world or the movie, you know, studios of the world, you know, are still an amazing opportunity to, to show millions and millions and millions and millions of people on a global level, whatever, you know, your, your product is television show or film. Um, but let's go back to, to, to web three for a second. Let's take a board apes or Moonbirds. Um, these guys are creating something in the web three space that they're allowing, in some cases, the, the fans to take the IP and, and bring it back and build out um, IP off of it. That's what Bored Apes does. You own a Bored Ape, you own that IP. You can create a movie off of it or a cartoon off of it or open up a restaurant. Not every property is like that. So my goal at Orange Comet was, how can I take my Hollywood production, my 3D digital design team that's been with me forever, how can I bring a story component into the world of NFTs through well-known IP? So taking like what we did with The Walking Dead with AMC or what we're doing with other movie studios or, um, or big properties, which I'll tell you about. How do we take those massive entertainment properties, bring them into Web3, use the massive global fan base and get them into this world? Because I don't want to just attract the fans who are crypto savvy. Because that's not going to grow what blockchain technology and Web3 is. It's just, that's just a small group. You know, if you ask most of the population, even though it's in the vernacular right now, 
most people will still tell you, what the fuck is an NFT? What? They'll ask you, like, what is it? And why do I want it? And and by the way, trying to get it set up to get a wallet and all that stuff is still a ridiculous process. But the truth is that that if you could blend both worlds, why are we taking people on TikTok or Instagram and turning them into television stars? That's, you know, how, how many podcasts, think about this, how many podcasts Start out, true crime is a great, you know, uh, genre. True crime podcasts that started out just the way you and I are talking right now on a podcast or telling a story, only for a network or streaming to go, you know what? We could turn that into a television property. And and now you've got the blend of, of both worlds. So I believe that content um, should live in lots of places, not just one, that that. You, you, you have the ability to reach a, a more, more of a global audience if you can uh, bring from Web 3 and then bring it to Web 2. Or I'll tell you about a project that we're doing with, with I, the legendary director Barry Sonnenfeld, did Men in Black and you know all these movies, who created a property 10 years ago called Dinosaurs versus Aliens. It, it started as a graphic novel. He couldn't sell it in Hollywood back then. 10, 12 years ago, I heard it, heard the title. I'm like, dinosaurs, I'm in on that title. Do you know what I can do to that visually with you? Do you know how we can build that out? Let's let's build it as a Web3, get a global base, a fan base, hopefully, and then go back to Hollywood and say, now we're going to build you our, our Transformers franchise. So one of the things that that I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this question up with is that Hollywood studios or television networks or record labels, what do they want to see? What they want to try to minimize their risk as much as possible. So if you can, why are movies getting made that are franchise movies that come with, you know, global IP like Marvel or, you know, or Disney stuff, those franchises have a, a already a baked in massive fan base to it. You know how hard it is to launch a brand new action thriller today rather than a mission impossible or, you know, or one of the well-known, it's so tough. So if you can build, come back to the studios with, or to the networks with, Hey, look what I've been able to do on in web three and blockchain with millions of people or hundreds and hundreds of that or millions of dollars, hopefully that's coming along with that with a, something that's proven. And now I can go and build it down the traditional route. They're looking for that kind of stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're, you know, with Clear Channel, you said, okay, we've, let's produce these events and then and then let's create awareness through the thousands of radio stations. Yeah. So where where is Web three and traditional media? Which side is is Web three create the events and then spread awareness through traditional channels, or is it take traditional channels and and spread awareness, you know, through Web three, or is it a little yeah. bit of both? Well, it's a little bit of both, but but you need to. Look, my goal is the CEO of Orange Comet. L- let me back up for a second. Let me tell you how I got into the space very quickly. Yeah. I'm sitting up here, you know, in my Northern California house. I ha- In the pandemic, I had seven shows that were in some form of production and got shut down. And um, this is almost two years ago now. And I got a phone call one day from Will Maris, who is uh, the president of Orange Comet and a good friend of mine. Um, who I've known for many years, and he's mu- much more of an entrepreneur, investor world, comes from, you know, building companies. 
And he's seen my work as a producer. And he said, hey, look, we've been studying this Web3 NFT space, and we think there's a huge future there. And we want you to be the CEO of this company. I said, hey, Will, um, really appreciate that. Thank you for thinking of me. I built a production company up for nearly 25 years. I'm not going to abandon that to go run an NFT company. He's like, well, look, I'm telling you, give this some thought, blah, blah, blah. So I never thought I would, Nick. I never thought I would think of it twice. But I did look at that space. And I saw the opportunity, as I said earlier, to, wow, I'm like, I was looking at it. And I saw most of these companies in the space were either a crypto background or a tech background. But nobody was coming at this from a creative background. Shouldn't NFTs and blockchain also be a form of creativity? Shouldn't a great NFT be no different than a great movie or a great television show or a great song or a great book? Like, I was just missing it. Either I thought, like, man, am I fucking wrong here? Or, boy, is there a huge opportunity. And so I said, I called him back up weeks later. I said, okay, let's go for it. Um, because over the 25 years, I built this high-end 3D digital design studio that was cranking out amazing work, like job-dropping, like, 3D digital work. And sure enough, when we started to put the, the dog and pony out, the studios are like, uh, where have you guys been? Like, we've never seen anything like this. So that... That got us off to the races. And we've been now about 15 months into this. I would say there is no company like Orange Common in the world. And I'm, I don't sound like an egotistic like asshole on that, but that's what I'm being told from some of the biggest companies in the world. And what I want to do is I've I've recognized this technology. This is the dot-com of the 90s all over again. In the early days of the internet, and you, um, you know this better than anyone. In the early days of the internet, you'd wake up and be like, oh, milk.com, beer.com, buy a soda. Like, what is this shit? And then these unicorns, here's Zappos, all these, all these unicorns come out of this. And that's where I feel we are in, in blockchain and NFTs and Web3. And so to answer your question, I am trying to use traditional media, mass IP, bring it into Web3 and NFTs in the blockchain and bring global audiences into this space and and then bring it back the other way. And yeah. so I'm an interesting blend. I'm a guy who came from television and film. You know, I was I had just filmed Jennifer Lopez documentary. I made the Jennifer Jennifer I made the Jennifer Lopez documentary that we just released on Netflix called Halftime. It took me four years to film that. So you know when Four years for one project. And so now working in Web3 and being able to do what I'm doing in, in, with the NFTs, I'm able to draw from my traditional Hollywood roots, my storytelling, my creative team, my creative ability, and move it into this space. And I think you're going to find more people like me. And, and for the audience listening today, I'm telling you this: the, there is an, an empowering opportunity to get in here. So, um, yeah, this is a long winded answer to your question. Cause I wanted to give you a little backstory to how I got into it, but I want to use traditional media in, in where we're going into the new world of web three and block. And I'm telling you now, blockchain is going to change the world. Yeah, no, that was a great answer. The, um, so with any new industry, right, there's, you know, there's the early adopters and then there's a, a little burst that kind of attracts some of the masses, um, gets people excited usually for a reason that's not going to be the long-term, you know, reasons behind it. And so I think we saw that with NFTs. Everyone gets excited. They get a lot of press. It's largely around, you know, speculation and just basically day trading NFTs, right? And then, right. then there's a little pullback and, 
And then there's people that were just there for the speculation. They kind of say, oh, it's over, it's dead. It's like, no, you were just here for the speculation. Then there's people that see like, well, the underlying technology and look at all these things that are possible. Look how we can apply it to these different industries. And then, like you said, over time, those out of kind of a a slight downturn emerge the the big players who saw the, the real potential and stuck with it. Where does Hollywood sit as far as their enthusiasm for it? Like, are they up and down with the with the speculative crowd, or are they like, we see this, we're 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 not even they aware of daily speculation. Your questions are so good. Um, the the um, they see it. You know, I got we were featured in Fast Company magazine uh, about just I don't know two months ago maybe. And in fact, they, we talked about the Barry Sonnenfeld, and it, and I've been asked this question a lot because I'm one of the few from coming from entertainment in this space. At first, first of all, you were so right. Up to this point, it's been speculation, speculative buyers looking to make money. And by the way, six months ago, five months ago, even four months ago, let's say, in the heyday of NFTs where everyone's making money hand over fist and they're not even thinking about the fundamentals behind what the project is or the company behind that. They don't care. Like, oh, who gives a shit? We're making money. We're flipping it. That's we knew or I knew, and I know smarter people than me knew, that that was going to come to an end and crash hard. That's not where this should be or where it should be going or where it is going. Hollywood sees this as a unique opportunity in a lot of different areas. First and foremost, let's talk about it from a a marketing standpoint. They could take a property. They could take a, a current movie, a current television show, and it's a great extension as a marketing arm for them. We, off the success of The Walking Dead with AMC, we just announced another multi-year partnership with AMC for Interview with the Rith, a Vampire and all the Anne Rice phenomenal properties that she created as books. That series just premiered this past weekend. We're coming out with a massive NFT project, but more of a Web3 play-to-earn, collect-to-earn kind of game, if you will. We, we can talk about that in a second. But a great NFT program is a supportive marketing tool for their tune-in. Um, it's not the only answer, of course, but it's, it's, it's an additive component. So that's one way Hollywood looks at it. What's the second way Hollywood looks at it? Primary, probably I should have switched these. There's a revenue opportunity here. There's a massive revenue opportunity. And the revenue opportunity for Hollywood is an interesting one because we can take and dip into catalogs of television shows and movies that you haven't heard about or seen in years, but that have got an iconic following behind it. And up until this point, the studios or whoever controls the IP, they might be selling T-shirts, caps, some coffee mugs with, you know, back to the future on it. Well, guess what? Now I've opened up a whole new category for you. This is like found money for them. It's taking... And by the way, it's tapping into um, uh, both a nostalgic fan base and potentially exposing a new fan base to that property. So Hollywood understands very clearly that there is a tremendous opportunity with NFTs and blockchain technology. What they um, also understand is that they're not and this is an interesting tie-in from what we talked about in trying to create a television show or a movie. They're not just going to give that IP to any anyone because where it's one thing to go ahead and print their image on a T-shirt of a, of a DeLorean 
and, and Michael J. Fox. It's another thing to go take that trusted property and, and, and create something fresh off of it in the world of NFT. You can actually screw them up badly and, and, and disintegrate a, a brand if you're not trusted to do something spectacular with it. Luckily for us in Orange Comet, that's where I've been able to play. We've been able to do some really interesting things. So Hollywood, look, right now we're in this crypto winter, whatever the hell that means. But it's a downturn. It's a slide. Two reasons. Uh, huge projects that came in that just a, an overabundance of junk, no one really thinking about it, and an economy that's pretty rock right now. And so anyone to think that NFTs or crypto can sustain where we're dealing with massive inflation and all the kinds of issues that we can talk about in the general economy, that's never, they're joined at the hip, no matter what anyone thinks. So it's a good time for listeners to want to get into this space because the junk is getting washed out. The bad actors, the pretenders, the people who never really have the vision to be in this in the long run, they're fucking going away because they can't sustain in this. They were never real to begin with. So if you want to get into this space and passionately get into it, there's a massive opportunity. So I'm answering a couple of different things there, but Hollywood is into this in a big way. But Look, they're studying, it. you know, studios and networks are not so quick to jump into things. You know, they they're they're also trying to learn it. I can't tell you how many studios or networks have said to me, Dave, you got to give us the, the 101 course. All we're hearing about are NFTs and every single marketing meeting we got here. What the hell does this mean? What are they? They're still trying to grasp it in a lot of ways. And 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 I don't blame them because a lot of people are. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. How, how far off? Do you think we are from creators of projects like, you know, the same way that, you know, there's people running around Hollywood pitching ideas and, and there's a variety of, of roles and careers you can get into. Do you see people being able to start in Web3 and, and NFTs and, and creative that way and find themselves more embedded in Hollywood? Or, yes. or do you think it's, it's you know, going to be the reverse with the, and then we just need that one breakout hit that comes the other direction from, you no. know. No, I think I would encourage any one of your listeners here not to worry about Hollywood right now. And I'm believe me, I'm not shitting on. I'm still in Hollywood. You know, there's an article written up about me in in a journal going, you know, Hollywood, you know, producer Dave Broom leaves Hollywood for, you know, what I'm like, I'm, what I'm leaving. I'm not I'm not leaving it. I'm moving it forward in a different way. And I'm not doing it on my own. There are plenty of people. I don't want to seem like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm blazing a trail here. I'm trying to blaze my own trail for Orange Comet. But I, I do think the great opportunity here is that, again, if you're a creator, an entrepreneur, someone who wants to put a product out there um, in the creative space, you can do this right now with Web3 and NFTs and blockchain technology with almost no barrier to entry. And, and that's the good and the bad, by the way, the blockchain. That's why this shit kind of tumbled because there was a lot of crap behind yeah. it, a lot of junk. But you can get in and you could be financially very successful with it. And then you can go ahead and bring it back to Hollywood. Build, why try and go and try to bust through the gates that are so hard to get through? Um, you know, bad, we can tie it back to music. How many musicians, artists could not get on a record label's radar forever 
And now YouTube comes up and like, screw it, man. We're going to go make our own videos. We're going to go put our own music out on, you know, on, on and show the world who we are. And all of a sudden, if you've got it and you're good, all of a sudden the phone starts ringing back to you like, hey, what is this? Uh, I saw you guys on YouTube. You're, you're, you're pretty sick. That's the guy who would never answer your call a year ago, two years ago, whatever. But now he or she is because you've taken charge and you've been able to go ahead and create your own destiny. That's what you can do in NFTs and Web3. That's the exact yeah. part. You can truly create your destiny. Yeah, that's interesting. There's always that, you know, there's so many people across any industry, right, who think that the path to success is is reaching out. And then the more and more with this new creator economy, what we're learning is the, the path to success is make yourself the person that everyone's reaching out to. And it's it's hard, it's much... You know, it's, it sounds great. It gets you fired up. And a lot of people, I, I probably do it too. You sit down, you go, all right, I'm going to do this. And then you sit at, sit at your desk and it's like, but the challenge is it's it's not easy. There's no shortcut to it. It's going to take, you know, the same thing. Like how bad do you want it? A little bit every day. You like to hear these stories. You, you need to hear these stories, right? Someone living in New Jersey and saying, I'm going to go make it in Hollywood. And everything seems fast when you when you look back. But it's that story of like, you get out there, you just, you pick an area. You say, hey, this is, you know, your story is inspiring. You pick an area. You say, this is where I'm going to be. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. And then you get out there and you start and you start and you start. And then you find yourself, you know, a lot, a lot of time later, but then to a new generation of like, oh, look, this person's in the position where they have the ear of the studios. They have the knowledge to know what to do with it. They have the same level of excitement, same enthusiasm they had when they were first starting. Yeah, because they see opportunity. That's the um, I think it's it's patience and that like it's not really a creator economy. It's more like the um, the doer economy, right? If you get yeah. out there and you do shit every day, you will eventually be referred to as a creator. But like you can't you can't create without doing. You know, it's like a it's the it's the story people need to hear. Listen, people talk about you need you need a break. You need a break. You need a break. Okay, yeah, maybe you do need a break. But you know what? I'm the firm believer that you create your own breaks. You can put yourself in the position. To get that break. Um, you know, I pinched myself so many times. When I was 13, I went to my very first rock concert at Madison Square Garden with my best friends. It was Kiss. And when I was, I'm going to say, probably in my 40s at that point, I was sitting in Gene Simmons' house talking to him about a partnership on a project. And so this Kiss was my iconic band that I grew up listening to. And here yeah. I am working with one of my legends in a way. And, and I, and I've thought about that so many times, what it took to get there. And you're right. You know, there, there aren't shortcuts. There just aren't. Um, and I, it doesn't matter, you know, we're talking entertainment today and we're talking web three, but you know, man, if you feel like you make the best pizza in the world and you've got a great sauce and you've got the great dough, um, then and you want, and you've got this burning desire to open up a pizza restaurant, then you should do it because you believe in it and because you love it and because you're passionate about it. And, and, and don't listen to all of the, the voices out there that's telling you you're crazy. Of course, you got to be smart about it. You just can't dive in. And it's, it's easier said than done. But look, again, you know, with, with The Biggest Loser, if I would have listened to my agent back then, I never would have even pitched the show. It never would have gone out. It, it, he, he tried, he, and it, but he was trying to give me good advice. You're not going to sell it. People have tried. It's a topic that no one really cares about. And it's daytime. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Let's go. And, and that is what it takes 
Now, look, it, at the end of the day, I, and it took me, by the way, six months from the time he told me that you're not going to sell it to actually sell it. But that was the drive that I had, the belief in that project and in, that, in what I could do with that. And you can't let, it doesn't matter, pizza joints, restaurants, uh, you know, entertainment, business in general. You cannot let someone take you off of the track that you want to go on. If you believe you have to get, you have to be smart. You got to be wise. I don't recommend anybody sits there and takes their life savings and dumps it into something. But the truth is that if you if you really want to see something through, and I, you know, I, I don't want to talk a cliche, but I, I, I honestly believe you can you can accomplish it. I never. No. I tell my girls this all the time. Just can't, you know, people are going to fucking knock you down. They're going to they're going to you. And and again, it is truly about getting up and 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 not just getting up and wiping yourself off, but taking the failures. And taking the missteps and taking the things that that do push you away from your goal for a second, using it to energize you, to 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 be empowered to go even stronger and harder and further with it. That's where I think the, the difference is. When I look at so many successful people out there, and it's one of my strengths is that it's not just that I get knocked down and get up. It's that when I get up, I feel even stronger about trying to accomplish what I want to do. And I think if people can can feel that way with whatever it is uh, in their life. And by the way, we don't even have to touch, talk about business. You just could talk about, you know, on a personal level too. If you can be empowered, if you can use failures to empower you and look at it as a, as a, as a great opportunity to learn, I don't think, I, I think you can really get anything done and be in a great headspace in your life. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I think that's actually a great place to wrap it up because I think anyone listening is probably ready to run through a wall and go, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, a, I mean, that was, that got me fired up. So I think, um, no, I really enjoyed this conversation. I would love to do it again. If people want to learn more about um, you, Orange Comet, where, where, where can they find you? Uh, well, they can, listen, they can find me. They can go to orangecomet.com and they'll see our website. And uh, we've got a lot of great projects um, coming up to share. They can see what we're doing there. If anyone wants to reach out to me on my Twitter, I'm at broom88, B-R-O-O-M-E 88. I love talking and conversing with people. And look, I love learning myself and I love getting fired up. So, you know, and getting inspired. So I love to hear other people's stories. Um, you know, I, I mean, that is the best for me. It's not just what I'm talking about because, you know, it's about what other people can give and you can learn everything. So I encourage anyone to reach out to me and I'm, I'm the kind of person that will get back, uh, and, uh, you know, respond. So, uh, Nick, I'd love to do it again with you. You know, you're an inspiration yourself and what you've been able to achieve in your life. Um, and, um, congratulations with all your success. Thanks. I really appreciate it. That was, it was, it was a great conversation. Literally the hardest part for me was I was getting so excited that I had, you know, thoughts of like, all right, when this is over, I got to do this, 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 and then <laughs> try to listen at the same time. So Good. anyone listening, reach out, you know, you heard, you heard what he said, like, you know, take that opportunity, get started, you know, do what, do what you can do. And if you like the show, you know, review subscribe, share it with a friend, anyone that needs a kick in the ass or that first, you know, thing to, to get started. I think this would be a great episode to share. So uh, Dave, really appreciate uh, you coming on and um, yeah, looking forward to uh, the future. Likewise.